Welcome to Inside the Rope, the podcast where we speak to the leading minds in wealth management. In today's episode, I'm speaking with Phil King, the Chief Investment Officer and Founder of Regal Funds Management. And we're talking specifically with reference to the small companies fund that they manage. Phil talks to us as part of our special series that's designed to give listeners updates on the rapidly changing COVID-19 situation that the global economy finds itself in. The small companies fund that we're talking about has returned 13.3% since inception to the end of April, but it hasn't always been a steady journey or a straightforward set of results. For instance, the fund was down around 44% for the three months to March, and it was up about 27% in April alone. Phil shares with us what they've done through the COVID-19 crisis, how he's looking at markets at the moment and how he's repositioned the portfolio and his outlook for where investment markets are going next. I think you'll find this to be a fantastic podcast and I hope you enjoyed it. I really enjoyed listening to Phil. His views are always forthright and he'll never be accused for sitting on the fence. Please remember that this podcast isn't, nor is it designed to be specific advice or recommendation of a particular investment. We encourage people to listen to the disclaimer at the end of the podcast. Also, don't forget to keep your feedback coming in. You can email me at david.clark at codacapital.com. Thanks a lot and stay safe. Phil King, welcome to Inside the Rope. Thanks, David. Well, Phil, obviously we're in some very um, unusual times. Uh, We're doing this over video conference, which is remote, which everyone's getting used to, I think. You you haven't seemed to have grown an isolation beard, although you may be working on it. Um, Firstly, how how are you going and how are you coping with the situation? Yeah, incredible times, David. Incredible times in our daily lives and incredible times in the markets. As a firm, I think we're coping well. We have um, implemented the working from home policy and uh, we've always had the ability to work from home. So it wasn't a big change for us. And that seems to be um, going well. There's obviously pluses and minuses about that. Um, Certainly, you know, in some ways it it does allow us to focus a little bit more on what's important. Um, But certainly interesting times in markets as well. And we've just seen one of the sharpest sell-offs in history. Um, in February and March, and then I think we've seen one of the sharpest recoveries that that we've had. Um, So there's been a lot of volatility in markets, both um, over those months and also into an inch a day. So yeah, very interesting times, David. So do you want to maybe dig into, I think many of our listeners will um, uh, remember we spoke to you, it may have been January, February, I want to say this year, and we were talking about with such low interest rates and the Trump uh, re-election coming along. Can you maybe give us a little bit more description in your words, what we've seen happen, and specifically with reference to um, the small companies fund, which we've focused on in the past? I, I guess in, in your words, what we've seen happen to markets Um, and how they've reacted? Yes. Well, as I said, you know, we've seen one of the sharpest sell-offs in history. I think the sell-off was so sharp because of three reasons. 
firstly, there was so much uncertainty around the coronavirus pandemic. Uh, the markets don't like fear and uncertainty, and there is still a lot of uncertainty around this crisis. And so um, that was probably the first factor that drove the sell-off. Secondly, the shutdown that most countries around the world have implemented um, has meant that the economic negative economic shock is going to be huge. And we just don't know how bad this recession is going to be. Um, and then thirdly, I think there's been a lot of computerised trading strategies um, that have ex exacerbated the impact of this sell-off. These sort of strategies have a stop-loss mentality, which sells as the market goes down and buys as the market goes up. And I think this has contributed a lot to the volatility in markets. And so we've had a view and we still maintain the view that the best investment opportunities in Australia are at the small and mid-cap end of the market. A lot of the large caps in Australia um, don't have much growth. And I think this has been vindicated by the fact that the Australian stock market underperformed many overseas markets uh, last year when the market was going up and the Australian market actually underperformed as well when the market fell. And so I think that reflects the fact that there's uh, the large caps in Australia are largely growth constrained, whereas there are many much more exciting opportunities um, at the small and mid cap end of the market. The negative of this is that sometimes these small and mid caps carry more risk um, and less liquidity. And so when the markets sell off, these stocks can get hurt a little bit more. And I think our small companies fund probably suffered from this, too much small and mid cap exposure. Um, compared with maybe the small cap index. And as a result, it probably did worse than we expected in the months of February and March. But pleasingly, we've had a very strong recovery since then um, and we remain very comfortable with the outlook. So I want to say that for roughly, and correct me or it's not right here, is for the first three months year to date, so to March year to date, the fund was down roughly 39%. And then in April, um, it, it might look like it's something up around the 27% mark. Yeah, those numbers sound about right. I don't have them in front of me, but, yeah, it's, it's very strong recovery in April and very strong recovery in May. So can you tell me what in the small companies fund you did and or what was the process that you employ when we have such a dislocation like this? I think it's very important that investors change their portfolios when the facts change. I think when something changes, you've got to ask yourself, is my investment thesis still valid? And there's been no larger change in society and in the economy than the coronavirus pandemic for many, many decades. And so I think um, it's right to question every stock in the portfolio. And one of the lessons we've learned in previous crises is that it's important to take your medicine early and reshape the portfolio. So that probably cost us some performance in, in March, but I think we're seeing the benefit now in April and May. And so we very much asked ourselves the question, how is this stock going to be affected by an economic lockdown? Um, and so any companies which lacked liquidity that have weak balance sheets, we tended to, to exit. And we tended to concentrate our exposures to those stocks with strong balance sheets. Um, and I also think that 
you know, where this crisis might differ from the GFC is that this crisis is very much starting at the consumer level. And so whereas the GFC started at the finance or the financial sector. And so this crisis, I think, will affect a lot of companies a lot more. Um, and as a result, I think it could last a little bit longer. And so we've tried to reduce our exposure to any companies that are very exposed to the consumer. Phil, how have you gone about determining whether companies are going to get through this period, given that most companies have provided or not provided much data or forecast because they just don't know? Have you been focusing on particular industries like travel or tourism uh, or hospitality and steering clear of those or um, are there other research methodologies that you've been employing? Yeah, we're very, very much trying to avoid those companies that can't provide guidance um, or are suffering huge downgrades. We've tried to gravitate towards those companies that are largely unaffected by the crisis and even some companies are benefiting. Um, and so I think that's it's very important. Um, many investors are just assuming uh, this is a one or two year crisis and then things return to normal. I think in some sectors, say travel, um, things may never return to normal. I think uh, working from home will become a lot more popular going forward and that's going to change, you know, the way, you know, many office blocks, et cetera, operate. And so, yeah, we're very much um, tried to anticipate what's going to happen um, to many companies. And as a result, I think we're largely trying to avoid those companies that are getting, you know, very affected by the, the economic slowdown. Now, Phil, you talked about one of the factors contributing to the selling down. I, I suspect you might say um, the opportunity in the small caps area may be even greater than in the large cap, not only because they've got ongoing growth, but because there weren't many buyers in that area and some of them may have gone below what their technical value is because people were just looking for cash. But I'd like, have you seen any evidence, we saw written up in the paper of some of the industry funds and you know some of those funds with uh, people who may need to get access to their superannuation like um, Host Plus, I think of in the hospitality area or rest in the retail employers or um, so forth. Have you seen much evidence in the small cap area of funds or what you believe may be selling to fund that um, that need for liquidity that, that's come about in this unusual time that may present an opportunity for someone like yourself? I think this is largely overplayed, David. Uh, there's been a lot of chat. There's been a lot of focus in the newspapers. Um, but I think this has had very little impact on the Australian stock market. Um, it's obviously affected one or two industry funds. But I think most funds on average have probably been net buyers of the market over recent months especially considering the fact that with the 30-odd percent fall in the market, their equity weightings are probably a long way below where they want them to be. And so I think a lot, most industry funds have probably been buyers, but there certainly has been a few well-publicised industry funds that have probably had to sell equities for liquidity purposes. Um, but I think this just hasn't had too much effect on the market as a whole. So you flagged if you think there's been a net buyer into the market. 
do you think valuations have got ahead of themselves given the lack of clarity that we've had from companies? And you know, many people are saying, look, until there's a cure in somebody's hand here, there's just a huge amount of uncertainty. Um, and, and we have seen a very meaningful um, you know, rally, if you'd like, in April. Yes. Look, it's interesting. It's always hard to generalise, but you know, the, the, what I would like to say is that some companies are largely unaffected by the whole economic shutdown and the pandemic. Other companies are benefiting from the pandemic, while other companies are hugely disrupted by the pandemic. And so I think you've got to look at each um, type of company um, separately. Um, in terms of valuation, you know, we had the view that valuations were very reasonable compared with interest rates. Uh, in some cases, we've seen interest rates fall even lower. And so for those companies that aren't affected by the pandemic, we think valuations remain good for those stocks. I think some of those stocks are cheap relative to interest rates. And that's why, for example, we've seen the NASDAQ be so resilient in the US. And I think we can say the same thing about many tech and healthcare stocks in Australia. Um, on the other hand, we are concerned about, you know, many of the so-called value stocks in Australia, where many investors are assuming things return to normal in a year or two, and they're looking through the crisis. I think these stocks, um, you know, are at risk. And so we're very, very cautious on many of those, what we call value traps. Phil, you've spoken publicly about Afterpay in the past, and there's been some corporate activity with Tencent buying into Afterpay. How have you positioned uh, your involvement with that particular stock? Yeah, Afterpay has been a huge winner, um, even though some investors have concerns about how their loan book is going to hold up if unemployment spikes in Australia, as it will. And um, as many millennials haven't suffered this sort of economic recession before. We're probably not going to know the answer to that until the government stimulus, until the job seeker and the job keeper um, packages wear off in September. And so it's probably too early to work out how Afterpay copes uh, in that sort of scenario. But um, we very much prefer Zip, um, especially at these sort of prices. Afterpay's got a market cap of around $10 billion. Zip's got a market cap of a billion dollars even though Afterpay is a lot more advanced in its US and UK expansion, we think Zip has many um, opportunities there as well. And so we very much prefer Zip at these sort of prices. And we think, you know, the Zip share price should do extremely well over the next six to 12 months. Phil, we have seen a lot of companies cut their cash flow guidance and boards really pulling back. How long do you think it's going to take until um, we see a more average level of dividend flow out of companies? Yeah, I think the crisis has um, shocked everyone. I think, you know, investors, uh, governments, regulators, and even boards have been shocked by the crisis. And so it's a natural response to try and conserve cash and improve liquidity. And so we've seen Many companies cut dividends, um, and I think that, uh, you know, I think payout ratios will stay reduced for many, many years. At the last cap into the market, we've seen National Australia Bank cut their dividend, and we've seen ANZ and Westpac defer their dividends. Um, and that, I think, 
or shock many investors who like to hold these stocks for the dividend yield. And many investors have historically compared them to term deposits and say it's better to own shares and then receive term deposits. Um, then on the other hand, you know, many people called stocks like Transurban and Sydney Airport bond proxies because they thought they were very resilient to an economic downturn and they thought that the dividends were very secure. And I think at some stage we'll see both Sydney Airport and Transurban cut their dividends. And again, that could surprise many investors. And I think we're seeing a similar thing at the smaller end of the market. Many of the stocks um, that you know did pay good dividends are cutting them. There is a you know a huge move to improve liquidity. But um, you know the stocks and the sectors that we really like, like healthcare, like technology, and like mining don't really trade um, on yield. Um, and so we haven't seen many changes there. Um, whereas I, many of the, what I call the so-called value traps, you know, have been trading on yields. And so I think a lot of investors could get disappointed when yields get cut, when dividend payout ratios get cut. And I don't see dividends returning to their current levels in many of these stocks for many, many years. Now, Phil, you flagged earlier on that you've managed uh, the, these investment portfolios through quite a few crises to date. And I, I, I must say my recollection is that those funds have performed very, very strongly coming out of those crises in the past. What, what are the main lessons you've learned through those past crises and, 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 and what of those are applicable to today's situation, do you believe? Yeah, firstly, I think it's important to accept that things have changed. Um, and so we, we certainly have done that. We've taken the medicine, as we said, in the month of March, and we have repositioned the portfolio. We've tried to expose the longs to companies that are largely unaffected or benefiting from the crisis and the shorts to companies that have been greatly disrupted by the crisis. I think it's very important not to get too bullish too early. Um, you know, a lot of people get sucked into sucker rallies and dead cap bounces and things like that. And even though we are seeing a decent bounce in the market at the moment, I think it's going to be a while before we see what I call a true bull market returns. And I think uh, we really need to get through uh, the economic recession uh, before we can get too excited about the markets. So I think it's important uh, not to get too carried away and assume that the crisis is all over. I think we're also seeing a lot of single stock dispersion and so some stocks going up, some stocks going down and that's great opportunities for uh, traders and people who can take advantage of these opportunities and provide liquidity to the market. And I also think that we're going to see a huge spike in corporate actions and that's a great opportunity for investors like Regal who can take advantage of these corporate actions. And so, yeah, I think it's important to maintain liquidity in the portfolio, um, not fall in love with stocks, um, maybe trade a little bit more than normal, um, and then eventually not get too scarred by what's happened. But at some point, not now, but at some point, um, you know, get a bit more optimistic about the future. Phil, in previous times where we've talked, you've... Uh, spoken about creating an environment within Regal uh, 
where you have a huge capability in-house and you want the best and the brightest wanting to work at Regal and coming into Regal. And I think the analogy was uh, the Barcelona of the world where Barcelona is the best and everyone wants to play for Barcelona, so it's self-perpetuating. Um, I had to be corrected. I, I, uh, Tom Tom Oral, who works with me, I, I used Real Madrid. He said, "No, no, Clarky, it's 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 Barcelona." <laughs> he used the example. Has anything changed in terms of your structure internally, uh, research, or how you're doing things? Um, that that that's meaningful. Do do you believe, or or, or to that type of view? No, we're very fortunate that we. I think we've had no changes to our starting eleven. In the last 12 months, no changes to our Sydney front office. Uh, we're very fortunate that everyone is fit and playing well, and we still very much aspire to be the Barcelona of investment management. And even though we might not win every match, we certainly want to be there at the end of the season, um, and we certainly aspire to, to kind of chase the title, as it were. So we're very, very focused on um, you know the longer term, staying fit, playing well, um, and as I think I tried to draw the analogy, you know, we want to have the best players in each position. And so that's why I think it's very important to have industry specialists for certain sectors like mining, healthcare, technology, that I think it really lends itself to being specialists. And then it's good to have generalists like myself who can kind of question things and look across everything. And Phil, it's been very, very helpful. And I'll wrap up now. And in doing so, would you have any overarching thoughts or comments that you think would be helpful for um, you know wealth management clients who are sitting there with a portfolio of assets often and you know the output of their life savings and building businesses etc over time who so have just gone through this very tumultuous time are there any thoughts you would like to leave them with or think that are particularly pertinent for them no, look, I, I remain strongly of the view that, you know, long-term investors need to be exposed to equity markets. I think equity markets do give the best returns in the long run. And I would encourage people who are looking for long-term returns to stay exposed. I think the best returns in the Australian market will be at the smaller mid-cap end of the market. And so I just encourage investors not to lose their nerve um, and to stay the course. I think over the next five to 10 years, there should be very, very strong returns coming out of the Australian market. Um, and so, yeah, I just encourage people to, to not give up and stay, stay involved. Well, Phil, once again, thank you very much for taking the time. I understand it's a very busy time in markets, so uh, it's very kind of you to carve this time out for us. Um, I hope you and your team and your families all stay well during this uh, time. Keep washing your hands. Thanks, David. We certainly do. And all the best to uh, you and all the team at Cater as well. Terrific. Thanks, Phil. Thank you for listening to Inside the Rope with David Clark. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast on iTunes. You can connect with David by visiting codacapital.com.
Any views expressed in this recording represent the personal opinions of the speaker and do not represent the view of any other party. If this recording contains reference to any financial products, that reference does not constitute advice or recommendation and may not be relied upon. Listeners in Australia are encouraged to visit www.moneysmart.gov.au to obtain information regarding financial advice and investments.